Hi, and welcome to Redefining Outbound, a podcast series for sales leaders. I'm one of your hosts, Stephen Vickers, Director of U.S. Sales Development at Cognizant. I'll be interviewing a range of forward-thinking sales leaders on how and why B2B buying behavior has changed, and we'll be unpacking why these trends are important for Outbound. Hope you enjoy the episode. So much, uh, Ryan. I appreciate you hopping on uh, our latest episode of, of Redefining Outbound. Uh, I guess to kick off, uh, could you please just introduce yourself for the listeners? Yeah. So my name is uh, Ryan Scalera. Um, I'm an inside sales manager at Lob. I also run a consultancy called Arkenstone GTM. Um, I currently lead an XDR team um, and some that do some full cycle sales. So it's a uh, top of mind subject as far as outbound and how to how to do it well. Awesome. Uh, something we ask all of our guests on this podcast, what does redefining outbound mean to you? So the last five years have been a really interesting time with outbound. Um, the, the, not the creation of the BDR role, but the rise of the BDR role and the amount of stuff that's been thrown at the wall. I always say there's two types of BDR leaders. There's the spreadsheet BDR leader and the enablement BDR leader. And right now the enablement BDR leader is what's going to get us through uh, the next five years, which where outbound's not going to be as easy as it was. We saw sales engagement platforms um, really start to automate. Now we're getting into the world of AI. So if you are looking at your outbound or you know outbound motion in general, and you are not pivoting and updating it to be less about mass contact and more about business acumen, symptom hunting, and, and really taking a more a targeted, defined shot at getting into conversation, it's going to be a it's going to be a rough time. That's why you see a lot of people saying cold callings that or videos that or emails that whatever these things are. It's it's the frustration that outbound is very different than it used to be, and now we need to look at all these different mediums as an omni-channel approach. Just like marketing had to, they can't just rely on just paid ad or just email or just this. You have to integrate it. And it's not about which channel converts at the highest. It's about the combination of them and how they integrate to tell more of a problem story arc as opposed to just shipping random stuff through each channel yeah. and praying I, for the I, best. I couldn't agree more. I know that, you know, as we continue to, to grow here, Cognizant will bring on more and more SDRs, you know, we're teaching them different ways to connect with customers. And it's not, you know, when I first started as an SDR leader, it was, here's the phone, go. And now there are so many more, you know, from, you know, phone, email, LinkedIn, video, like, as you mentioned, there, there's new mediums coming up all the time that you've got to be able to adjust and adapt, uh, but also understand that each each SDR is different in the way, you know, what their strengths are and, and how they're able to connect with customers. And I think that's one of the one of the challenges, but also one of the, the great parts about being a leader and, and working with your team and, and getting the maximum out of, of your reps. Yeah, you're 100%. you're known to be an outbound video expert. And I know you co-hosted a webinar with with Morgan for us, which was awesome. I love listening to it. And. You know, I thought it gave great insights into 
kind of standing out from from the noise. I'm curious though, like right now, what are three things sales leaders should prioritize when coaching video as an outbound channel for their team? So it's something I'm doing with my team right now. Um, I, as I as said in the webinar, and I'll kind of like re, reaffirm it, it's that the power of video is in visualization. Um, it's not just another form of email. You, you actually have the ability to show them something. And uh, there are a lot of visual aspects in a lot of products that if we could display like the aha moments and incorporate that into like, hey, why are we reaching out? Why would you want to take a conversation with us to build that intrigue? Um, a big thing that leaders could be doing is finding out what those actual plays are. So for example, like one of um, plays we're running at my company right now is when we sell to retail or e-com, um, they usually have a cart on their website. And the, uh, the, the nature of sending direct mail, which is what we do, is usually not something that's very personalized beyond just like, dear resident or maybe your first name. But if I were able to show them an exact image of the item that was in the cart and then reaffirm them and send them back into it with a QR code. Now I'm giving this marketer a visual representation of an idea that they could execute and showing them, not just telling them about it. So creating those types of plays and, and teaching the reps on how to phrase and execute on this in video could be really helpful. Even giving, getting them the video, a little clip of it to show while they're making their pitch um, is probably a big one that I've been focusing on a lot. Second is like, you know, you can't expect your team to do video without showing them what good looks like, or they're going to just, they're going to have to figure it out on their own. There's a lot of resources out there to help with that. But, you know, imagine if you just let a rep who's never written an outbound email, yeah. just write whatever the heck they want. Yeah. It's likely they'll make a lot of mistakes and they won't do it very well. So if you can cut that learning curve by understanding the top practices as a leader, uh, you'll be able to actually coach and see what's going well, what's not with the video, where I think a lot of leaders haven't even had to send a video themselves. Um, so it's really hard to say, hey, this is what's great. I mean, there's a lot of people who act as authority figures on video that have never sold with video, but they've just managed teams that have, which I always kind of laugh about. It's like, I want to see that you've done it with success the same way that a BDR leader that's never been a BDR, it's, it's challenging to be able to instill that best practice. If you haven't actually run, I think, you know, as, as again, as our organization continues to grow, our leadership is also getting younger, which is fantastic. And that's something that, like you said, growing up as an SDR and as a salesperson, video wasn't even on my radar. Uh, and now it's something that's such a, a powerful tool that it helps to have some younger managers who have used this as a BDR, SDR, and they can help their teams uh, with that selling process as well. Kind of as a segue into that, you know, some of my SDRs are already kind of all in on using video and others are a little hesitant. Uh, any suggestions for those who are a little shy to, to start using that medium? So 
one thing I actually do is I incorporate in the interview process now. So I actually ask them to send me a video. So not that that might, there's some people that are not comfortable with that too. The, the thing about that is that there is a, a difference and I don't get it because I'm, I'm used to making content being on video so that it's normal for me, but I'm not everybody. And I, I, I need to recognize that. There are a lot of people that can't bridge that gap of wanting to see themselves on a, on video or on a screen. A, if you have that visual aspect that you're using, you can be a little blurb in the bottom of the screen as opposed to up front and like talking like this. Or you can turn your camera up. I don't necessarily suggest it, but getting used to executing on these videos the same way as getting used to executing on a cold call, there's just one more aspect, which is your physical presence. So... It's it's something that I don't enforce. Like if you're on my team, you don't have to send video, but it's the same way about like phone. Why would you not be willing to try it? The reason and the, the thing that I would suggest for reps is that the conversion rate on good video is ridiculously high. On video in general, it's higher if you can get an engaged buyer. Um, so I suggest only send videos, especially if you're starting out, to people that have opened your email like five or six times. And you're trying to get them across that line. So at least you have a higher success rate of the people that you send because they're already engaged with you. So that's kind of how I would how I would cap that. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, in terms, you know, you're talking about people don't like seeing themselves on video. It's already a challenge enough. It's like, hey, let's let's listen to a gong call. And it's like, oh, I hate the sound of my voice. I can't believe I have to to do this. So kind of getting them from from gong to uh from Kong to video, uh, I, I think was one of the challenges, but I, I love those. I love those suggestions uh, for sure. Um, what does the future of outbound look like as we go into, into 2024? I, I mean, any, any specific questions? So the future. Yeah. I'm just sorry, any, any predictions. Specific, so, I have a hypothesis I've been running um, and it seems to be working really well right now. Like, for example, I think I'm I'm about to hit quota for the quarter with our team and it's month one. Um, and the, I think a big part of that has been creating what I call a culture of plays as opposed to a culture with a playbook. Most organizations, they bring in a BDR leader. They bring in an agent, whatever it ends up being, to create that playbook for the organization. And then that playbook gets stale. And the reps don't really have as much say or feedback into the creation of that playbook. So they either stop running it, or some run it, some don't, or they, they keep running it, but it becomes less effective over time. So a culture of plays is a little bit different. We pick on a bi-weekly or even monthly basis a new play that we want to run and we have a structure of how we create that play defining the problem why they care about it uh, the aspects of it like the messaging that you would fit into this and the people you'd want to go after mm -hmm. basically like a dossier of like hey how here's how we're going to run this play here create your list Let, let's run it and we test it and we see if it's getting traction within that segment within that group and um, then we add it to the playbook. And eventually that might not work, but because we're constantly creating new ways to approach it and the team is involved with it, we get a lot more direct feedback loop really quickly. And we're not spending six months with a cadence to find out that it doesn't work. 
um, we are constantly attributing new things to it. And it, it gets the BDRs really involved in like defining what the problem we actually solve for is. How about like emerging channels with, with untapped potential? Anything you see for 2024? <sighs> emerging channels with untapped potential. Video is always a, an untapped potential one. Um, I will actually say that phone. Phone is actually not tapped enough. Um, the the more and more it's 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 a very difficult one. But the more and more I talk to teams that are having really like high success with outbound, their reps are hitting the phone. And a lot of people will disagree with that, but I just I don't. I've just seen it so many times over where teams with fifty percent or more of their pipeline coming from cold calling. Um, Social selling, I think, has become a little bit convoluted and crazy, so it's harder and harder to get into the inbox of someone on a social platform. I've seen some people use Twitter, hmm. which I think is really funny, um, but that it takes a specific type of segment and a user that's on Twitter to yeah. be able to pull something yeah, off Yeah, that like makes that. sense. Um, you spoke about the shift from IC to manager uh, in one of your LinkedIn posts, which I, I found very interesting. So for, for fellow managers, even, you know, potentially new managers, what are three things you learned from your experience? <laughs> um, managing up and managing down at the same time can be challenging. Um, I think from a managing up perspective, you can start that as an IC and really learn like how to strategically interact with someone above you at the same time. I think the biggest, one of the biggest things I learned is that I tried to be the manager that I needed instead of the manager that the individual rep needed. And that took a little bit of a learning curve to get in the, the groove of, I'm still learning it now I'm by no means an expert, but I'm finding ways to balance that more often. So practicing the managing up is going to be huge. And the managing down is hard until you're in that position. A lot of like AEs, let's say, or that are that are trying to get into leadership, people always say, oh, lead before you're a leader. There's ways to do that, but there's also a lot of ego and hurt feelings when you try to start helping someone that's not asking for it. So there, it can be a, it can be a gray area yeah. of how you can do that Great well. Point. Um, three, that's I okay. three, but the second, the second is get in there and do it yourself. Like you have to be sharp at what you're doing. And I think that practicing it yourself, I send emails, I make calls. I told my team we're about to meet up for an in-person session and I told them to prepare a list so I can get kicked in the face in front of them. And they were all like very happy to make that list. They're giving me the ones that I think have been a little rude to them in the past. But I, I think showing them that you're leading with there is is a very good way to build your credibility. Um, not just that you're good at the job too, but like that you're willing to do the things that are difficult for them to accomplish. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. It's a, that's a great example, you know, of leading from the front and I'm not going to ask you to do something that I wouldn't do myself. And I think teams are always, uh, they always respond well uh, to that, understand that their leaders in it with them and they'll, you know, do anything for them to see that, that success. So I think that's a, a, a great 
attribute to have uh, as, as a leader in, in this field, for sure. Uh, and then okay. I love it on my third. So, uh, <laughs> so my boss, uh, Josh, has talked a lot about the different shapes of leadership. I think it's from a book around private equity and like management strategy. But he talks about an I-shaped leader, a T-shaped leader, like an M and an E-shaped leader, whatever it may be. But um, the A, the, uh, if I had the name of the book, I'd share it. But ultimately, when you're starting to lead, you might only think about yourself and your team. And the reality is that when you're making decisions, it's better to think not just what's going to affect you and your team, but the broader organization as well, how your choices affect other teams. And the more that you can have a wider sense of like how this affects me, the people in my adjacent, the people below me, the people above, in every facet of the business, the more that you can have that spatial view of an organization, how your decisions impact that, the better of a leader you're probably going to end up being for the organization. I like that. Um, I guess shifting away slightly, I thought we could talk about uh, Arkenstone GTM for a moment. So what are the core focus, uh, excuse me, one of the core focuses is around helping teams with low conversion rates. So what are some of the core, you know, faux pas that you've seen with outbound? So I guess that goes into two fronts. So it's, it's the conversion from uh, BDR revenue uh, pipeline, as well as like making it through the stages to close one in the BDR side. I, I challenge my reps a lot to create what I call like a problem hypothesis when they're booking a meeting. What do you believe, what problem do you believe they have based on all the facts, data, research, and conversations you had with this company? And how do you think we address it? A lot of the times BDRs will place meetings on the calendar because they said they called a person and the person was like, I can't talk right now. I was like, oh, well, do you mind if we grab a different time? And they're like, yeah, okay, let's put something on your calendar. Yes, it may be the ICP, but we really don't know why they're meeting with the AE at that point. It's kind of like a loose meeting. So the to improve the conversion of that, you can equip your AE with all the research facts, like the problem you believe they have. So the AE is more likely to dig into that on discovery immediately as opposed to kind of being like, hey, why are we here today? I don't know, you called me, and then the conversion on that doesn't go so well. So the more likely to convert are the ones where you have probably a clear idea of like, here's how I believe we can help them Yeah. from BDR side. From an AE side, it's the level of discovery. Um, and I work with a lot of teams on doing what I call like intuitive discovery and getting into the why as opposed to just running them through like check checkbox or interrogative questions that don't really connect or make sense to the buyer. Therefore, usually you're, you're missing a majority of the problem that you're going to talk about in the demo and so on and so forth. Okay. Well, I'm, it's interesting. I mean, what do you think is causing this? So, Sales conversations are the one time where I think most salespeople lose their actual like, yeah. social ability. 
Um, it doesn't make sense because we go in there with like an intended desire outcome. There's two things that end up happening. Reps either bucket clients into like, oh, I know this. I've dealt with this before. And they don't really ask great questions or really dig into the why behind it to define whether the problem is even worth solving. Um, and then the second part is that like, because we are in there with an agenda to get this information, a lot of people skip over clarifying anything of actual value. I think there's some statistic. It's like 48% of buyers rescope the size of the problem during the sales cycle. And therefore, there is a chance for us to actually um, affect the way that they're evaluating what they're looking at. And you can do that through basically holding a mirror up to your client through discovery. For example, I always use this. It's like if you're like if I, I have a, a nine year old daughter now, but when she's 16, if she came home to me and said, hey, my boyfriend broke up with me, my next question would never be, how are your relationships with your friends? No, it would be, what happened? How are you? What What did they do? Are you okay? Can I help? And most salespeople, we, as soon as we get in a sales conversation, that goes outside of our brain. So we're like, all right, what system are you using today? And how many reps do you have? And they seem like naturally good questions, the data we need, but the person just came in and they're like, hey, we're looking for this because... We're trying to grow. Where are you now? Where? What? What does growth mean to you? How? How much growth? What is the reason behind that? What's driving this? Those are the types of questions that I think reps are missing because they're scripting out the information that they need to get, as opposed to clarifying yeah, what the buyer's sense. actually saying. That makes sense. Um, I guess the final question for for me, Ryan. I know is twenty twenty three draws to a close. It's scary to even think that. Uh, What's one thing you'd recommend, uh, you know, fellow sales leaders, uh, one thing to start, one to stop, and one to continue as we head into 2024? One thing to start is, I think, the culture of place, like actually getting involved with finding new plays, especially from the BDR side, that they can help the team come up with and getting them involved in that process. So, you know, back to, to my previous examples, like I'm, I'm doing something around black Friday because we have an ebook and I'm not just taking that ebook at face value. I'm extrapolating points from it. We're creating email templates based off of it. We're creating lists for people that will be most affected by it. And we're working the team together to create this rich sequence. that's hyper-specific. So that's something I think that leaders should start getting involved with to make sure that it's done right instead of just letting your BDRs create all new cadences of all random stuff without like a pulse on what's why we're actually doing it. One thing to stop is uh, sending too many damn emails um, and putting these high activity counts as a way to plug up a poor strategy. I've heard teams that I very much respect and I found out they're asking their people to send out one to 200 emails a day. And it should just be at this point, common knowledge that you should not do that. <laughs> Drastically reduce it and send out better emails, uh, 50, 70 max, uh, but make them count. And uh, that's something I think people need to absolutely stop doing because mm -hmm. it, it's way more apparent than uh, I found out. 
And then, so it was one to, one to start, one to stop, and one to continue? Yes. One start, one stop, one continue. Is that right? Um, to continue, I think allowing people to work remote no. <laughs> and, and also giving access and ability for people to meet up. I think that that debate goes on and off a lot, but the reality is I think we need to create a medium for people. Uh, if you're all remote, your people can get lonely and siloed. I felt it myself. If you're all in office, that creates a, a strict point. It's difficult to get the right talent and, you know, not have a lot of their time wasted on a commute. So finding out something in the middle uh, is, I think, the best approach moving forward. On yeah, that. I think there's got to be flexibility for sure, uh, especially, you know, as, as we head into to 2024 with that. But at the same time, I, I do think probably more than any other role within a company, the SDR role is so important to have that not only peer-to-peer -peer interaction, but also the feedback you can get from being in an office, hearing what others are saying, what's working, what's not. And, you know, I just had a, I just had a call. Was yeah. it good or was it not good? I don't know because I'm alone in, in my house and I can't get that instant feedback. So I think there's got to be some combination. Um, so I would, I would definitely agree with that for sure. We actually use a platform called Nooks, uh, which is similar to like an, an Orem, but it allows, it's like a digital sales floor that allows me to actually be with my reps on a daily basis. And we're calling and we're listening in and we're jumping into rooms together and we're sharing a screen and writing emails. But like it, it, that only used to exist on, a, on an actual sales floor. And I think that there's a lot of ways you can incorporate that even without getting a technology for it just doing a weekly call review where everybody brings in a call that they don't know how it went or they want some feedback on it and all digging in together. I think it's a great way to build that, that sort of interconnectivity, yep. even in a remote sure. environment. Awesome. Well, Ryan, I really appreciated our, our conversation today. Uh, a lot of great insight uh, on your end and, and I wish you and your team nothing but luck closing out 2023. Likewise. Likewise. Appreciate day. you having me.